Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you up for the cups? Hello and welcome to episode 17 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual. We'll be discussing what's been going on in the FA Cup over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we are two up top and that means leading the line around the captain's armband this week is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? Well, I've been pretty good. Um, lots of changes in my schedule, just as um, there's been a lot of changes in Fulham and Spurs' schedule, given everything that's happened. But yes, as always, ever so looking forward to talking about it. Fantastic. Glad to have you, as always. And of course, the same is to Max, because Max, Palace fan, no joy in the cup. We'll get to that in a bit. But how have you been? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Looking forward to getting into things. Top man. Right. Carl's not with us this week. He's off doing some scouting for me, so hopefully he'll be back in the fold next time around. But also, before I do the social media bits, I just want to say that we've hit 30,000 listeners as a show in total, which is great. We've hit a landmark. Quite humbling, to be honest. I never knew I'd get 300, 3,000. So thank you to everyone and anyone who's ever lent their ears over the past three seasons. Here's to many more landmarks along the way. So let's do the social media bits now. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Acast and Spotify. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the place where I was born and bred, and that is Crawley Town. Now, Matthew, the League Two club don't often get a mention on this show, if at all, really. But you'd have to say, after Sunday's performance, that was certainly the shock of the third round. Yeah, absolutely. And the way you led it with Crawley, I think, is probably the way that it needs to go. Because whilst everyone will talk about, you know, the Leeds United team selection and, oh, is it burnout and all that sort of thing from Bielsa, 
this was Crawley Town's day. I think they played absolutely superbly. I think even yeah, I think most of the goals came in the second half. Well, they all came in the second half, but even in the first half, they were causing Leeds some problems. So they were absolutely fantastic on the day. And they are, you know, pretty much the walking cliche of anything in the FA Cup, the magic of the cup. Has it lost its romance? No, it hasn't, because we have these all those things, you can apply them to Crawley Down, who did absolutely superbly on the day. You know, I'm pretty sure the main talk was going to be Mark Wright making his debut, but the, but the rest of that team just sort of put that all to bed. And now Mark Wright is quite rightly where he should be, a sideshow in the whole affair. Max, sometimes when a Premier League club gets dumped out at this stage of the competition, you can just point to incredibly well-rested because obviously the Premier League and all the money which is connected to that, that's the bigger fish to fry. Now, of course, there were some changes on the Leeds team. There's no doubt about that. But you would say, looking at the lineup on paper, there would still have been enough quality to deal with such opposition. Well, definitely there should have been, 100%. <clears throat> you, you, you look at the, the team that they put out, they had Kiko Casilla in goal, who's obviously played for Real Madrid. Um, the two centre-backs, um, well, they basically had three of their starting back four. Um, Strauch and, and, and Cooper might not start when everyone's fit, but they are currently, with the injuries that Leeds have, they, they're currently the first-choice uh, centre-back pairing. Alioski's been playing regularly in the Premier League. Obviously, Rodrigo played up front. You know, he's a 30 million signing and a Spain international. And then in midfield, you know, that they've got, they had some decent players as well. Pablo Hernandez ripped up the championship last year and obviously playing a team from the fourth tier. And then, you know, Helder Costa, who's a 15 million signing as well. So they absolutely should have won um, on paper. But again, that would be to, that would be to detract from Crawley's performance. And they were, they were really, really excellent. And so I don't want to talk too much about Bielsa's or Leeds' shortcomings because, um, as, as Matthew said, Crawley were excellent. And also, I'd like to have a, a little word for uh, Nick Tarula, yep. the, the left-back, who scored the fantastic, fantastic first goal. That's the goal of the round for me. And um, he, he, was, um, he gave a really emotional post-match interview when he talked about um, uh, his comeback from injury. Basically, he was at Spurs. He had a pretty horrendous car crash. And he was out for a really long time. Spurs eventually released him and, he, and he's found himself back at Crawley. I think it was only his seventh senior professional game. And yeah, he performed superbly well. And it's, it's great to see him being given a chance um, and, and, and showing what he can do and maybe giving a little bit of a, a sly middle finger up to, up to Spurs who released him. Um, and, and also, you know, you can say the same thing about Alfie Devine and Louis Barry and youngsters like that being given their opportunity to play a Premier League team. And that is why the FA Cup is the best cup competition in the world, I think. Yeah, can I just take, can I just take, sorry, I just want to take yeah. a quick thing on what, on what uh, Max was saying there about the team selection and everything. I think it was probably best exemplified by what Jose Mourinho said, you know, later that, later that afternoon, wasn't it? Um, with his team selection, he said, no, if I make, if I do something bad in the Premier League, you can blame me. But with the team selection, if something go, goes wrong, blame the players because that team is strong enough to you know, to do the job. I think that same logic you can apply to Marcelo Bielsa in this. Don't blame Bielsa for the team you put out. That goes on the players because they were good enough, but they just didn't do the job. OK, let's pivot to Bielsa now because, Matthew, I think we need to have a chat. And, Max, of course, you're in this chat as well about Bielsa ball. Have the UK footballing audience as a collective been conned into something that doesn't really exist? We're getting gambits like, it's so refreshing, but they're losing the right way. Everyone's second favourite team, etc. Like, is it becoming a bit nauseating now? Yeah, that second favourite team line. They're not mine. It was, it was, it was yeah. Jermaine Genius. Yeah, yeah abso absolutely. Um, absolute, absolute nonsense. I mean, I, 
I mean, I've always said that I'm not exactly, I'm not in favor of you no know, tippy tapper, you know, all that sort of thing. I've always been a fan of the Route One, you know, call it a Tony Pulis, Starlet Stoke, Sam Allardyce of Bolton, physical style. That's always been me. So I'm never going to say that I like Marcelo Bielsa. I'll admit it is entertaining to watch because I like goals. Um, they're the best. I'd ra- I'd much rather watch a five-five draw than a nil-nil draw. But at the same time, I think there is just a little bit of We've had six months of the the honeymoon period, as as you would for Marcelo Bielsa, and it is just starting to get on a on a lot of people's nerves. It was fine when we started off, but now that it's become such a media driven agenda debate talking point, whatever you, the fact it's become something we talk about on a week to week basis, or whether it's good or whether it's bad, has just started to get on a lot of people's nerves. Certainly got on mine. I'd agree. And Max, because of Bielsa Ball, does that absolve Leeds from bad performances such as this and against Spurs? I mean, they didn't play bad as such against Spurs, but they still lost 3-0. So you can sort of say that they were largely indifferent against Crawley, but then all you need to say as a Leeds fan is, well, yeah, it's Bielsa Ball, isn't it? So is that giving him quite a clean slate in terms of absolution? Yeah, definitely. It gives him it gives him carte blanche. And I understand he's built up loads of um loads of goodwill in the city after, you know, finally getting them back to the Premier League after whatever it was, a fifteen year absence. And so I do under you know, I do understand that they're not gonna turn on him suddenly after a couple of defeats or or a couple of games where they concede a lot of goals. And in a way that's completely right that they that they stand by him because he's done uh such a good job um so far. But um yeah, it is it is interesting that he doesn't seem to be um, you know, no one seems to be criticising him. He seems to be exempt completely from criticism, more than almost any other manager in the league. Um, and I think part of that is because um, part of the media, I say the media like I'm not part of the sports media world or like any of us aren't, but um, the, the media have kind of got into a bit of a, a Bielsa loving. And, you know, it is, it is entertaining to watch, but at the same time, a good style of play is winning. And I love seeing... Palace grind out 1-0 wins and things like that and in a way I'd rather watch us win 1-0 in a really gritty backs to the wall performance than I would watching us play really nice football but losing 6-2 to United or losing 4-1 to Palace you know at some point you have to look at the goals they're conceding and the amount of set piece goals they're conceding and you know the the losses that they're having and, and saying well you know, it is great having an entertaining style of play, but, you know, that's probably fifth down on your priority list behind getting enough points to stay in the Premier League. And there does seem to be a little bit of an over-obsession with the, uh, you know, the romance and the and the, and, and everything like that with Leeds. Um, but I think they will have enough to stay up. What I think might be interesting is seeing if his, uh, Bielsa's initial kind of tactical um, tweaks like, going man-to-man marking and, you know, playing a really high style, uh, really, really quick style of play and everything like that. Will that be worked out by Premier League teams in the same way that Sheffield United's overlapping centre-backs, etc., was worked out after the first season? Will they have a horrendous season next year? Let's find out. I'll tell you one thing as well, and Max, sorry to take you on again, Dan. I'll say one thing as well. Um, and uh, Max has sort of touched on it. I guarantee they wouldn't be getting this much attention if they weren't Leeds. I think that is a big, big part of it. Is Good because point. it's the it's the story of Leeds United and you know, sixteen years out of the top flight, or however yeah. long it was. You know, I guarantee if Marcelo Bielsa was doing the same stuff with, off the top of my head, team of the championship, 
Reading. Cardiff City. Yeah. Reading. Yeah. Reading, Cardiff City, any of that lot. Any that aren't the fashionable, you know, the old style big team. If he was doing this with Nottingham Forest, he'd probably be getting the same sort of love. If he was getting this with Preston to an extent, Blackburn to an extent, he'd be getting love. If he was one of the unfashionable teams, he wouldn't be getting this sort of attention. I guarantee that. That's a very good point, actually. I guess that sort of drives the uh, media machine even further. But I'll stay with you, Matthew, because it's a very good point that Max has raised. How do Leeds as a club progress from this? Because it's all very well having this swashbuckling style which could see you lose 3-0, win 4-3, that kind of stuff. But you are only going to get so far with that. So do Leeds just accept their number in the Premier League and settle for that? Or will they have dreams to go bigger and is Bielsa the man to take them to those dreams? That's a very good question. It all does depend. I think we've touched on this before with like Crystal Palace. Now, if Crystal Palace are a team that just want to stay in the Premier League, then what they're doing is fine. It's the same with Leeds United. If they just want to stay in the Premier League, then Marcelo Bielsa, this style, will be enough every single year to get them to 12th, 13th. They'll get the odd good result against likes of Chelsea or Man City. They'll lose the odd, you know, howler against West Brom or Fulham or whatever they'll be fine if they just want to stay in the Premier League by all means if they want to keep going that's a whole different matter because this style of football it will not get you as we've seen as you know the some of the results this year they will be found out they can be found out and you can't get into the top six or top seven playing like this so Marcelo Bielsa and this style might be enough to establish them as a Premier League team, and now all the money that's going to come in, because I think if they stay up this year, I think it was worked out that I think the next bumper load of Premier League payments, I think the bottom team gets like two hundred million. So all the money that's going to come with with being in the Premier League as a result of that, they he set them up for life effectively if he plays them like this. But if they want to step forward, if they want to you know move on, like Tottenham were a middle-ish of the table team, now constantly challenging for the top four. I don't think he's going to be the man to do it. He set the foundations, but if they want to go further, I don't think he's the man to do it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that note. Let's quickly loop it back to Mark Wright. He got three minutes or so on Sunday, so let's not give him as much time on this one, Max. But obviously, everyone's going to go Towie and all this, but there is an element of footballing pedigree. I know Soccer Aid's not the barometer of all things football, but a youth time at Tottenham, a sort of smattering of non-league football, so they've not just plucked him off the street, but I guess really, in a nutshell, is a man who's achieved his dream, so that's got to be commendable if nothing else. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and obviously the attention is on his you know, his TV background and stuff like that, but he was, um, and is a, a good player, he's a good player, and Crawley's staff have um, have come out and said that the assistant manager, Lee Bradbury, um, said, look, you know, he's not won a competition, he's here because he's a good player, um, and he is a good player. He's obviously got a very good background, and he's shown that in the in the soccer aid games. His brother Josh Wright has had a very creditable football league career as well. He's played I don't know 300, 400 games, um, centre midfielder. I think he played for Millwall for a while. He's he's definitely played Championship level. And Wright was saying, well, one of the biggest regrets of his life is that his brother gave it a real go, uh, gave the football career a real go, and he and he didn't really. So fair play to him for having the, the kind of the hunger and the desire to, to go back to it and, you know, for wanting to prove himself. He's only signed on non-contract terms and, you know, there, I don't want to sound too disparaging, but they're only, only a League Two team. But, you know, he, he's going back to, to do something that he thought he, he, he maybe could have given a 
give, give, given a crack at um, when he was younger. And so, yeah, fair play to him. I, I hope he does. I hope he does well. And what outstanding shithousery, by the way, yes. from Crawley to, <laughs> to bring on 33-year-old reality TV star Mark Wright to see out um, a 3-0 win over Bielsa's Leeds. Absolutely outstanding. Yeah, that's fantastic, really. I mean, you mentioned Josh Wright. I think he moved to Crawley just before the cup tie. He was on the bench as well. So Mark Wright is 33. That's nothing compared to Japanese legend Kazumura, who's 53. And he's extended his Yokohama FC contract for another season. So I guess at that age, Matthew, there's hope for us all yet. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, you can never give up on your dream. Although I will have to say, I do. I this is the first I've sort of heard of the story when Max sort of brought it up um, in the in the group chat. I do wonder, is he like an actual? I doubt he plays ninety minutes every single week. So I do want to know what the the uh, the finer details of this thing is. He, for instance, is he is he a goalkeeper? You know, who they they don't have the most you know, the most amount of energy unless you're Manuel Neuer. Um, they don't really need to do all that much running around. So, but yeah, playing at that age, why not? Give give it a go. Why not? Well, he's a striker, isn't he? I mean, I don't. Oh, watch... he is a striker. Oh, yeah. crikey. <laughs> okay. I, fair I don't watch much J League, but it pops up on that free sports channel from time to time. So I always wonder, Max. If you're 53 years old, and again, no discredit to the J-League, but how handy can you be? Is he like a Benjamin Button, or is there a huge element of PR stunt in all of this? Uh, maybe, maybe. But, I mean, at some point, the PR stunt will probably have ended at, you know, age 37, 38, 39, 40. But he's 53. He's 53. I mean, obviously, he keeps himself in amazing shape, kind of relatively for his age. Um, but I'm reading that he, he actually started a match in September last year and played 57 minutes. So it's not like he's just a kind of uh, a a marquee signing, you know, what some people might call what Mark Wright is. Um, But, you know, he he, he feels like he can genuinely contribute and I'm sure he's still got the hunger and and they they still want to play him. He's actually got an extremely good record for, for Japan as well. I think he scored 53 55 goals in 89 games for Japan. So he's obviously had a really good career, you know, previously back in his back in his younger days. So he must be a really, a really old wise head um, in the dressing room, you know, been around the block a few times or more. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's outstanding. And if I'm still playing football at 53, I'll be I'll be very happy. Well, I'll show my age now because I remember him playing against England in 1995 in the Umbro Cup, which was like a summer tournament. Um, which he used to have in the odd years between World Cups and European Championships. And I remember him playing and that was 25, 26 years ago, and he would have been, what, 27? So that's half his age. It's madness that he's still going. But credit to him, I guess, you know, living your dream and all that. If They must see something in him. If he's, you know, playing 57 minutes in September, it must be still quite handy. So, you know, how long will this continue? Who knows? I mean, I guess also it can point to players being fitter in general that if you're sort of looking at a player who hits 40, it's not a big shock anymore. I know that 53 is very extreme, but I guess players are getting fitter and medical science and all that helps players' careers go on even further. Right, let's swing back to the FA Cup now. We need to talk about replays and perhaps the lack thereof going forward. Now, obviously tides are being settled on the day with extra time and penalties if needed. And it led me to put out a poll yesterday. So I asked the public whether this should be the format going forward. The results are in. 71.2% said scrap replays from next season onwards. 28.8% said keep them. Now, Matthew, these results are not legally binding. Ultimately, what do you make of them? And more importantly, what is your stance on such a question? I pers- I personally think replays should stay. Given the way that this, given the state of football as is, I think replays should stay, because the replays and everyone talks about them that you know they're they're a good money spinner for whoever the team is. Like 
Burton Albion, for instance, when they were in the conference, I want to say, they get a home draw against Manchester United, play out a nil-nil draw, then they get the money-spinning replay because they get whatever percentage of the gate receipts plus the TV revenues, yada, yada, yada. They get that. They're set up for the next two, three, five years, for instance. So I think given the way the state of football is, this season I can totally understand it with fixture congestion and everything. You don't want to have you don't want to have the replays. That makes sense. But if the split of football revenue is going to be as is for going forward, then replays absolutely do need to stay forward. Now, there is all this talk about the Premier League and the stimulus package and giving more money down to down the lower leagues as part of the COVID thing. And that could change things going forward, so on and so forth. If there is going to be a greater split of money, so rather than... I'm going to pluck these numbers out of my head for simplicity. Okay. But rather than the Premier League giving like League One and League Two a hundred million pound to divide amongst themselves every year to stay afloat, if they give them two hundred million pound a year, I'd say for instance to stay afloat, then you can see right then the money's they've got the money they don't need the replay. If you see where I'm coming from, so if they, so if that change is going to come. Then yes, I think replays will go. I like replays. I love them. I think it's I mainly because it gives us a chance to watch another game of football like ten days later in midweek. Who doesn't love that? So I'd quite like to see them stay, but this does seem like the well, we've changed it already. Can we really be bothered to go back to it? Like um they they tried out one year, you know, with the League Cup going straight to penalties for one year. Everyone seemed to like and thought, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's keep it that going forward. Let's not have one yet. Let's keep it going forward. So I think replays probably we have seen the last of them. Not that I don't want that to be the case. Well, that's going to be the question I was going to put to Max. Is the danger that now replays are on the shelf due to obviously the climate that we're in, understandably so, does it make it harder to then get them back off the shelf for next season? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think they're definitely less likely to come back once they've been taken off the table and you know people see that football kind of survives without them i i agree with matthew i think the the benefit to the lower league team is such that they should be uh, in place in future but definitely in kind of covid times and and squashing fixture schedules i think that it makes a lot of sense to kind of reduce the the player workload um, and, you know, given the, the size of Premier League squads and stuff like that, it's, it's not unreasonable to, um, to, to to ask for replays. Maybe, though, in the FA Cup rather than the League Cup. I don't know what the best way to do it is. But, um, but yeah, it's, they're definitely good for lower league teams. And, and so I think they should be kept for that reason. Yeah, I mean, what's the best example? I know Matthew said Burton. Exeter at uh, Liverpool, they managed to get a replay, didn't they? And I think it's kept their budget going for about two seasons after. So there are definitely merits to it. It's just with football being pulled in so many different directions at the moment, you do wonder how far it can be stretched. Now, I'm not advocating they get scrapped. I think really if they are to be scrapped, then as Matthew says, there needs to be more TV money in the pot to absorb such lack of extra fixture. I mean, there needs to be something, not just a case of pulling them away and everything's the same. So if there was financial inducements which ease the burden of a lesser cup game, then I think it could be workable. But at the same time, who doesn't love a cup replay? You know, who doesn't love a draw in the first one and then a giant killing away in the second one. You know, that's added to the romance. And I think the FA Cup's already in a danger of dying from a thousand cuts. And if this one goes as well, then sort of thinking, does it become just too clean and clinical as a tournament? Perhaps so. But staying on the FA Cup still, I want to get your takes on your teams this weekend or the weekend we've just had. So Matthew, without focusing on what's going to happen coming up, just focus on what happened on Saturday. What's your assessment of the performance at Loftus Road? 
It was one of the worst performances I've seen from a volunteer. And I have seen us go through some bad ones. I saw us draw I saw us draw nil-nil at home with Charlton in 2004-2005, where the only highlight in the end-of-season review was Andy Cole winning a free kick late in the second <laughs> half. That was the only highlight that they managed to pull from the game. That's it. I've seen us have some bad games. That one against QPR was even worse than that. In terms of the 90 minutes... By all means, we got we got away with it by getting 2-0. That's probably where fitness and talent and quality or whatever came through. But my word, if that's what we're if that's what we're set for for the rest of the season, then I'm really not looking forward to even with a slightly reduced side, I'm not looking forward to the rest of the season if that's what we got to look forward to. Okay, Max, your cup run is over as a Palace fan. So what do you make of that performance? From what I saw on the BT uh-huh. Sport highlights, it looked like all wolves. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I've never been one to, to to give a kind of an emotional response to a Palace game. So I've, I've compiled a long and exhaustive list of all the positives that Palace could take from that game. <laughs> all right, and then on to the negatives. Um, I thought, yeah, we we were really poor. Uh, it's a bit of a... It's it's a bit of a shame that I I do obviously understand why we're why why we we put our rotated side and we you know we played a lot of the players who maybe haven't had a chance to play, um, but at the same time it's it's a bit depressing for Palace knowing that we're never going to do anything in the Premier League. You know the best we can hope for is maybe top half, um, or if we go on an astounding run, you know we might nick eighth or something. Um, and so the cup run is really the only bit of kind of escapism that that fans have knowing that every week in the league is just going to be a bit of a slog until we, you know, save ourselves from relegation. Um, and the, the, the cup run we had in 2013, was it when we got to the final against United? I don't like talking about this cup run normally because I'm still probably not over it emotionally eight years later. Um, but it, it really galvanized the fan base and it gave, gave us really something positive to, you know, to look forward to when we were watching and that's not always been the case when the style of play has been a bit dour and just kind of trying to trying to um, stay in the Premier League every year. So um, it, the cup run back then was really was really galvanising. It had a really positive effect on the team and the and the, and the fan base. And so it's really disappointing that um, Hodgson's priority seems to be very very much on the league and not on the cup at all. And look, I do understand his um, his number one goal is to keep us up and basically. Playing a rotated team in the in the cup with games against Arsenal and City coming up, you know, it makes sense. So we have our strongest team available for Arsenal and City in the league. Um, but at the same time, I would just absolutely love us to have a go. Um, to be fair, we we had a bit of a, a bit of a tricky draw. Um, Wolves away, they played essentially their full strength first choice team apart from Ruddy and goal. They sort their goalies over, but other than that, it was a completely full strength team um, and. They've got a bit of a small squad there. They've got a couple of injuries. Um, so, you know, they didn't really have the option to rotate. So they, by necessity, put out a really, really strong team. Um, and, yeah, we, we just we just weren't good enough. Um, I think we've lost uh, at Molyneux the last three or four times we've gone there and they always seem to get the better of us tactically. Um, the defending for their goal was really disappointing. Eze um, offers so much in attack but does not offer the same protection in defence that Schlupp does, who's now out injured for a couple of months and so yeah it was a really disappointing day and a bit of a, a bit of a damp squib to go out on so Matthew a couple of shocks now you can have this one Blackpool West Brom is the only comfort for West Brom is they've got nothing else to worry about now they can focus on trying to get out of the Premier League but they're kind of failing at that also 
Yeah, they managed to do the job that we were sort of meant to do against QPR, <laughs> is get rid of the cup as soon as possible and then focus on the league. Yeah, it, you you don't want to diminish the cup. as of, I like the FA Cup, but there are certain games and there are certain ties that we think, yeah, that's probably what was meant to happen. And West Brom certainly fall, fall into that category. The fact that... It, it even, the fact that it even took them to penalties to get through them just shows you how bad you know, how bad they are as a side. So having to you know, focus their squad's energy across multiple competition, competitions was was never going to go well for them. So yeah, get knocked out, probably the best thing that happened. And Max, a giant killing of sorts, but the context is a little different when you look at the Derby lineup. So Chorley into the fourth round. Derby's kids dumped out. What do you make of that? What do you make of the protocol, the integrity? Hit me. Yeah, it's, it is tricky. It is tricky. Now, um, I do genuinely understand the reason um, behind basically allowing games uh, to go ahead in the FA Cup, which have, you know, teams with loads of coronavirus issues. Um, so that happened with Derby against Chorley. They were really, um, they were really, depleted with coronavirus and I also uh, that also happened with Liverpool against Villa obviously Villa had a very depleted team basically the Premier League came out and said uh, the Premier League as a whole would have a big issue with the integrity of the competition if Villa were allowed or forced to play the game against Spurs next week in the league with a team made up entirely of their junior players and also the FA Cup has much greater time restrictions much less flexibility in rescheduling games because any postponed game in the FA Cup would have to be played before the fourth round starts in just two weeks. So because there's so little space in the in the schedule, they, they kind of have to just plough on ahead. And I'm completely fine with that being the case for the FA Cup. And I do understand why that's not the case in the Premier League, because you, know, you, you couldn't really have that kind of thing in the Premier League. It would be it would be farcical. But um, it was a really good chance for, for Villa and for Derby's kids you know the the youth players under 18 and under 23 players to have to have a, a, a proper matchup against you know a good physical side um and obviously Chorley and Liverpool are at slightly different ends of the of the footballing spectrum but you know both games will have been useful for the um for the kids that played and so I haven't got a problem with it at all um fair play to to, to Derby's kids for giving it a good go and it being a very close game and likewise with Villa and um, what a story with Louis Barry unbelievable well, this is it, Matthew. I mean, you can't take anything away from Villa's kids because I was guilty of when Mane scored after three minutes, I went, right, that's off because it's just going to be a mauling. And then I get a message. You wouldn't believe it. Villa are back in the hunt. So game on. Obviously, they fell away towards the end. But as Max said, Louis Barry, the night of his life and his young career. And Villa's kids made a very good account of themselves. Yeah, they did. But at the end of the day, they still lost. So let's not... <laughs> they, they did well, but... <laughs> It's not as if they gave a battling heroic performance and, you know, only lost by 1-0 via a last-minute deflection or whatever. They were still very much the worst side. 4-1 is... Yeah. Was it 4-1? 5-1? I didn't watch it either because as soon as I saw the lineup, I thought, I'm not paying attention to that. But just on the whole, they did still get absolutely togged on the night. So I don't want this to be a totally romantic, oh, yeah, did they did they still did badly on the night. Let's again, let's again. I know circumstances and 
anyway they were up against. But even so, I just we they've had their moment. Let's just forget about. It. I don't want this to be one of the great FA Cup stories, you know. In the same way that Roddy Radford always gets brought up, for, you know, seventy three out of Union's Castle. When the FA Cup highlights come round every single year, I don't want to see Louis Barry's name mentioned. It was a good night, but in the same, it, it, it was it was nothing in the grand scheme of things. The crusher of dreams there, but Max. Looking at Villa's lineup and then Liverpool's lineup, are you surprised that Klopp, knowing this information before kickoff, went so strong? Considering the amount of money he does about player welfare, five subs, tired players, this would have been ample opportunity to rest some of those names. So why did he go as strong as he did? Yeah, you, you would have thought it would have been um, a really good chance to rest players, and um, particularly, as you say, given how um, outspoken he's been about. Um, the scheduling issues but you know it just kind of proves what, what we've all discussed um, before on the podcast that he's, he's a little bit hypocritical when it comes to things like that but I think there was maybe a little bit of an element of um, uh, of, of what happened last year if you remember um, Liverpool's kids were forced to play against Villa's first team in the was it the Carabao Cup semi-finals yeah, League right. Cup semis and they they eventually lost 5-0 and Liverpool were not happy at the time and Liverpool's kids put out, you know, a decent showing, I guess. Um, it wasn't a cricket score, but I think maybe there was a little bit of resentment still and, and, and a, a bit of a, a keenness to one-up Villa. And obviously, also the result earlier in this year, 7-2, which was pretty embarrassing for Klopp and his players, um, you know, not long after they'd been um, been made champions. And so, yeah, the, the, I think there was maybe a bit of an element of let's let's make sure that we win this one. And if we can put a big score on them um, and, and get one up on them, that then we'll do that. But I mean, I think the, it showed that it was the right decision because until about 20 minutes left, it was 1-1. You know, it was 1-1 for a long time. And if they'd have played a complete second string side and, and you know, put a load of kids out, we don't know what, what might have happened. Um, I don't want to speculate. And... Obviously, like like Matthew said, you know, we we don't want to over romanticise losing, like has like uh, has happened with Bielsa. But um, they the Villas kids did play well, and you know they might have had, well, they definitely would have more of a chance against a complete Liverpool second string side than the team that they put out. So yeah, definitely there was an element of trying to one up there. Okay, so obviously Villa playing a youth team because of COVID, as did Derby. So COVID is of course making the news in sport as well as life at the moment. And it's all sort of interconnecting, unfortunately, due to so many games potentially falling by the wayside and illnesses in certain camps. So we've had Villa go down with a load of COVID. We've had Fulham before Christmas and Spurs seem to be the conduit in the middle of this. Not that they've been infecting them, of course, but they are seem to be connected because they're trying to play both of them. Now, it was going to be Villa away. Was it right? Yes, Villa away on Wednesday, but now it's Fulham at home. Matthew, now you spoke last week and you said that really you'd be happy for a 3-0 whitewash and just get the season sort of going again. You're not neutral in all this, but can the Premier League be commended for being able to pivot so quickly or are you taking umbrage to this? Um, I am taking a slight umbrage to okay. it in that there are some positives to it, there are some negatives. Like I was saying this on the Fulham, on the Fulham Focus podcast that I do. And one thing is... The one benefit is that it's a team that we've already prepared for. So all the notes on like, you know, that Scott Parker would have put together, like how do you stop Harry Kane and Chung Min Sun, you know, working together? How do you close down Hoiberg? All those sort of stuff. He can just pick up where he left off for the game that was going to be held on the 
29th, whenever it was in December. He's already got everything prepared. Same goes for Jose Mourinho. It's not as if they're retweaking the fixture list and saying, OK, Fulham, your game that you were playing against Liverpool in May, we're going to bring that one forward. So you've then got two days to prepare a fresh, a completely fresh set of you know tactics and everything. So that's fine. But the turnaround and the way that it's all worked is a little bit shambolic. Um, Scott Park was saying in his press conference today that part of this, with the whole COVID thing, we had our raft of uh, players out with COVID. And even though they are, you know, back and healthy, they have spent the last 10 days at home. So they were all getting ready to be back, ready, you know, have three or four days on the training ground ahead of the game at the weekend. It's Chelsea away. So they were getting ready for Chelsea. Whereas all of a sudden, they've now got to play a game with maybe one full day on the training ground. So that's to say, like Spurs would have been, you know, in the same sort of routine in terms of how do they hydrate before a match, like within the 48 hour window, the carbo loading and all the sports side stuff that I'm not smart enough to understand. Um, they, they all have been doing fine. But on our end, it has just been a little, why are you making us you know, having to change all our plans all of a sudden at such short notice? It has been a little bit haphazard on that front from the Premier League, but at least we do get the benefit of getting the game out of the way now, rather than one of the main complaints was, oh, we're going to have to play Spurs right in the middle of one of their Europa League runs. They're going to be tied. So Fulham can get the advantage because we'll be rested. Spurs are going to play on four fronts, all that sort of all that sort of stuff. It is somewhat more of a level playing field on that front. We get the game out of the way now rather than at the business end in January. So on the whole, it probably works out slightly slightly equal, but I I don't think there's a major advantage to a major advantage to either either party on this. Okay, then, Max. So how does this one compare to Man City's recent postponement against Everton? Because they had a round of COVID, but weren't they kind of pleading to the Premier League that? We need to call this one off. So why are we getting a slightly different approach for the quote-unquote bigger clubs down the smaller ones? Yeah, it does seem a little bit odd because, you know, one thing about the Premier League at the moment, at least, you know, Project Big Picture might have um, might have changed that, is that the teams are, you know, treated equally, or they should be, or, you know, the, the Premier League strives to, to treat teams equally. And it doesn't seem like that was the case uh, on this occasion. What I think, um, obviously I'm not a, a Fulham fan, but what I think, um, a lot of Fulham fans and people associated with the club are annoyed with is that um, th- the lack of communication. Basically, Parker was saying, well, if I'd known that it was a possibility that the Fulham Spurs game would have been played um, in midweek, you know, this week, Wednesday, um, then he would have put out a different team in the FA Cup. And as it happened, they went to extra time. They played 120 minutes. And like Matthew was saying, you know, it wasn't a complete first first eleven, completely um, exactly as they would play in the Premier League, like on Wednesday. But I believe Scott Parker, when he says, "Well, we didn't know that that was a possibility, so we picked a team based on that information," and then afterwards, you kind of suddenly at the last minute have said, "Oh yeah, by the way, we're we're gonna we're gonna reschedule that now." If that had been communicated a little bit earlier, then you know Fulham might have had the chance to put out a bit of a different team in preparation for their Wednesday game against Spurs, which I I think a lot of people are a bit confused with. So in terms of the Premier League, Matthew, are we at a point where wiggle room is almost non-existent? Because if we're honest, COVID's not going away in the next few months as much as we'd like it to. It's going to be around. So 
Do you think there's going to have to be a circuit breaker in football or do we play on regardless? I think we play on regardless, but one of the ideas that I've seen floated round is, I can't, I can't remember who put it, someone put it forward to this morning, it was one of the national media journalists, basically putting it forward the idea of bubbles. So rather than all the players going home and, I, th- I think it may have been Henry Winter off the top of my head, but rather than players going home and all that sort of stuff, basically you stay within your training ground and the only reason you leave you leave it is basically four games. So that means that the players are at less of a risk of catching it in terms of, you know, if they get it in the supermarket or maybe one of the stewards or the, who they're walking past and so on, so on, so on, so forth like that. It rec- and because it keeps the players safe and it keeps the schedule good. Because one of the main things that we sort of need to consider is one of the talks with the circuit breakers, I know it was a mainly a thing down in the football league because they were really, really struggling. Leagues 1 and League 2 can get away with a circuit breaker because they've got, no- got nothing to worry about. But for the Championship of the Premier League, there's a European there's a European Championships right around the corner that was meant to be played last summer, now very much, very much right in front of us. So if you take if you take two weeks off, you've got to tack that onto the end of the season. And all of a sudden, those players that are in the European Championship, they're only going to be getting like a week of a proper break before they've then got to go and play the Euros. So they're very much, as you said, very, very little wiggle room. So I think the games should be played. If you want to do it you know, in a, in a bubble so the players are protected, fine. If you want to just plough one regardless and have the situation where, I, you know, I, said, I may have said it last week, expand the squad. Scrap this 25-man squad thing so the players, so you can basically choose from any player that you have registered for your club Get the games played. If that means you've got to play out, if that means West Brom have got to put out their under-18 team to play against Manchester United, fine, so be it. But let's just get the games finished. Now, Max, when it comes to regardless, there is a sense that football is doing it regardless anyway, but also it seems to be above the law at times. Not football as a whole, but we are seeing more and more infringements, which isn't really a good thing. So if these breaches keep happening, is there a chance in the UK that football just goes back in the box? Um, yeah, very much, very much. And it doesn't really help the, you know, the optics for, um, <laughs> for, for for the politicians who are deciding on whether to allow elite sport to continue. Now, I'm hugely, hugely grateful um, that elite sport is continuing. And, you know, it's made a massive difference to my mental health being able to to kind of have that um, to, to, to fall back on. Um, I'm sure a lot of sports fans would say the same, but the point remains that a lot of people in this country aren't into sport, don't really care about it, and don't really understand why uh, elite sport is continuing when lots of people are still having positive cases and also when footballers are um, uh, are being seen to, to, to be breaking the rules and, you know, having lockdown parties and crashing their car drunk and, you know basically doing things they shouldn't and it's not a very good look basically and I think football basically needs to crack down on it because there is a risk that all elite sport will be taken away and my dad and I were actually talking about this this morning I don't think we should hold footballers to higher moral standards than anyone else but I think you should hold them to the same moral standards as everyone else in society i.e you have to abide by the rules or there will be consequences and so I was I was disappointed to see that um Luka Milivojevic, um, past his captain, went on a, a New Year's party to um, Mitrovic's house, his, his um, Serbia teammate. 
um, obviously that was an unauthorized kind of mixing. And basically Hodgson said, oh, well, you know, I can't believe that people are, are clamoring for him to go. And he actually started and captained Palace in the game a day later or two days later, which wasn't a very good look, you know, just drop him for a week or something or take the captaincy off him for the rest of the season. Um, and basically Palace didn't deal with it very strongly. Roy Hodgson then came out and said, right, well, you know, we're we're, we're taking it seriously and uh, there will be serious consequences if anything happens again. And then obviously the news of Eberechi Eze um, going to QPR game, which was not allowed by the FA. He was sitting next to a couple of his mates, not distanced. Uh, he was also pictured not wearing his mask uh, at points and, and Palace put out a bit of a a bit of a, a meagre statement again saying, oh, you know, we're not happy with it. We've talked to him about his responsibilities. How many chances are you going to give these players? You know, you need to treat them the same as other members of society and you need to kind of crack down on it. So it's not only uh, a palace thing, um, but I think just generally we need to we need to we need to have people enforcing the rules. Otherwise, people are just going to take the piss um, at the same time. I don't want to be too harsh on footballers because I understand it's a very difficult time for them as it is for everyone. Um, and, you know, they're, they're kind of being forced to, or, or they are playing on despite the potential risk to their health um, and all of that, basically for our entertainment. And so I don't want to, I don't want to be too, too harsh on them. But at the same time, I think we, we really should try and clamp down on um, rule breakers. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to stick the boot in. Let's take, for example, Marine on Sunday. Obviously, you don't also want to poo-poo a magical day for their fans. But, Matthew, when you look at the pre-match photos, there wasn't a great deal of social distancing going on, even if the police were saying, oh, it was all fine. So that only really feeds into the problem, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's the it's the optics of the situation. You know, as much as the... what It's basically, what can we see? It's like with the whole Mitrovic and Milivojevic situation. If they want to break, If they want to break the rules... Fine. I think if you asked every single, if you asked, you know, a, a thousand people in the country how they have behaved within the whole COVID lockdown thing, you probably find at least 80% of them, if they were honest, will say they have broken or flexed the rules at some point. So there will always be rule breakers. But in that situation, what are you doing putting your photos on Instagram for everyone, for everyone to see? It just doesn't. It just doesn't give off the same. You know, you're. I know, as Max said, behind uh, holding people to a, to a moral standard. It's that's when it looks like you don't care. If you can get away with it, again, this is this is me being a terrible, terrible person. But some of these people are. If you can get away with it, people will because that's what people are. But if you go and flaunt it in such a way, then yes, you do have to be held accountable for your situation. And I think that's one of the things one of the punishments that should be brought in. We talk about, or I at least talked about, you know, if you can't play the game, 3-0, give the forfeit. I think that's one thing that might actually get the players to sort themselves out. Because if you say to the players, right, if we lose this game because you are out with COVID or there's an outbreak within the camp, the person that gets it is basically going to be the one responsible for them, for their team losing the game. Which means, you know, probably mean fines and wages and all that sort of stuff but if a team goes down by the 3-0 loss that was given to them by forfeit the shame and the humiliation is going to be on that player is going to be huge so you so if you tell the players right if we get the game it is your fault i think that might actually get them to sort Sarah, because they don't want to be the guy that you know cost the team a place in the champions league or cost the team you know 
safety by his actions. I think if they introduce that, players will be a lot more safe and a lot more rule-abiding. It's a very good idea, actually. I like that punitive sanction. But, Max, if we look at rugby and the suspension of their European competitions that took place yesterday, sorry, the suspension took place yesterday, is this something that UEFA are going to have to consider themselves going forward? Or the fact that their tournaments, in terms of club level, restart in February, does that give them just enough room for manoeuvre themselves? Yeah, maybe just about, maybe just about. But yeah, I think I think all the authorities, you know, European and domestic, um, they're just going to have to be creative with with what they do. And it's been good, you know, seeing people are, are willing to um, are willing to scrap replays. And I really like the idea Matthew suggested of expanding the twenty five man squad because a lot of teams, Fulham included, have players who are, you know, kind of ready to play on the on the surface and and fit maybe not match fit, but ready to play. But they're just outside the 25-man squad. And, you know, a lot of teams are kind of being being punished for that. There are lots of teams with big squads of players who, you know, who they could maybe use in a in a season like this. Arsenal as well springs to mind. Um, so I think we just need to be a little bit creative with the rules. I do think that we shouldn't try and tag on um, any more fixtures at the end of the season. I think we should try and fit it in during the course of the, of the, of the current season dates as they stand. Um, obviously because of the European Championships, but even they might not go ahead. So I think as long as people are, are kind of pragmatic about it and able to make short-term switches, um, then you know t- teams will, will just have to get on with it. Well, you mentioned the European Championships. So I want to quickly ask your take on that because, Matthew, with the fact we are using a hard border, for use of a better term, not Brexit or anything, but that's the date we have to all work towards, does that mean that you know teams and authorities are sort of at least looking to get football going. They can't sort of go, oh, right, we'll do it in July. Like, everything's going to have to be squeezed in. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I, th- I, think, I think it does give... I think, I think it's a good thing because it gives people a date to work towards. Yeah. Like, if there was nothing if there was nothing on the horizon, then it gives them a, an excuse to sort of, oh, we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll take care of it next week. Or, yeah, it's, it's a fluid thing. I think if you give them a set date, I think that means, right, that... That, that also means, you know, if you want to call it off, that means you have a hard decision date. Like I was looking at this um, from from a perspective of the European finals uh, of the championship, of European European championships, the finals for that. Basically, I think UEFA have set, have set a date in March where they are going to say, I think because it's a year on from when they called it off last year, but they, they've said in March, right, this is the date. What's the situation? Then we'll decide what we're going to do. If they said, oh, we'll just play it by year, then you have the risk of, you know, if things go bad, if things go badly, then you can call it off early or you can call it off a bit too late sort of thing. But if you actually give them a hard date to say, right, now let's now let's work out what we're doing, I think it gives people something to work towards. So, Max, if you're asked ask for a percentage figure, how percentage confident are you that the US goes ahead in the summer? Oh dear! Um, I, I saw ESPN say um, they're basically the best case scenario is seventy um, percent of fans in stadiums, kind of semi distancing, and the worst case scenario, obviously being behind closed doors, and the kind of middle ground would be thirty percent of fans in stadiums. So that's not terribly optimistic. I would say it's probably pretty. It's probably pretty fifty fifty. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think I could give a an exact kind of figure on it, but it's basically a bit up in the air and I'm uh, up in the air as well with my travel plans because me and some of my mates have booked, um, have bought tickets for the, for the championships and obviously um, 
book travel abroad as well, all refundable. But yeah, if, if you haven't booked your flights yet and, and you're going to do it, don't do it yet. <laughs> well, I had tickets for Spain, Poland last year and we decided to not worry about rebooking them because, you know, we are where we are now. So a little bit of a lucky guess. But um, personally, I think it will be on, but it'll be 30% because that's the figure they use for the European Super Cup. So I think that's all you'll get. But, you know, it's a shame that we are where we are, unfortunately. But before we fold for today, I want to talk Scottish football. We don't usually, but it's quite a topic. And again, it all links back to COVID. So, Matthew, there's issues north of the border. And this isn't even including the fact that League One, League Two and the women's leagues have been under a period of cessation. Now they're back in the box. Can't have time to talk about that. We want to talk about Celtic, though, because after their trip to Dubai and what's happened, you'd have to say they've only got themselves to blame. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm not 100% sure of the legality of all of it, because I know Dubai is, at the moment, I think it closes on like Friday, is one of the UK travel corridors. So people are allowed to fly between um, the Great Britain and the UAE. And again, what the legality of Scotland, I know they've got different rules. So long as they were abiding by the letter of the law and what the rules were allowing them to do, then that is absolutely fine. They've got no problem. But again, it does come back to optics. Now, when a player comes back with 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 uh, tested positive for coronavirus, for all we know, he could have got it on his way to the airport by the time they were going over. It might not have been something he caught over there, for instance. But again, the optics of it, it now just doesn't look great. They almost got away with it last night with their uh, nearly uh, managed to get a win over Hibs. But in a season that where Celtic have been absolutely poor and everything is sort of you know twenty one points behind Rangers at the moment. Yeah. It's just another thing of Celtic aren't really a well-run club at, at, at this point. You know, you know, the, with, with what you're seeing on the pitch and what you're seeing off the pitch, it's just a case of where the hell has everything gone wrong? Now, Max, you cannot beat a good Celtic statement. And yesterday's was a cracker because they were saying that, yes, the virus could have just as easily been caught in Scotland. Now, of course, that is the case, as Matthew has just alluded to. But ultimately, why take the chance of going to Dubai in the first place? Yeah, exactly. It's just so bizarre. And they were obviously furious, furious. It was an unbelievable um, press <laughs> statement. Let me read you some of it. Um, they said, yeah, clearly we're hugely disappointed. Uh, the contacts were identified during the period from Wednesday last week, during which time Celtic applied the same rigorous protocols used for pre-season training camps, UEFA match travel and all domestic match arrangements in Scotland. These protocols have served us well in the past as the club has not had one positive case in our own bubble until now. As we have already stated, Celtic's decision to travel to Dubai for a training camp was for performance reasons. And then, yeah, they, they went on to say, oh, well, you know, we could have caught it in Scotland. But the point is, you didn't. Um, they've already mentioned, they've already released the fact that um, Christopher Julien, who is the one uh, positive case, basically got it from travel to or from the airport. So... Um, the, the 15 absences, Neil Lennon, manager, John Kennedy, assistant manager, and the 13 players who were absent against Hibs last night, all of them were close contacts with Julian, who caught it from the travel, which was obviously not necessary. So they, they said, oh, you know, at the time it was allowed under the rules and, you know, the government backed it and stuff. But that kind of things changed and they went ahead with it. And also the, the stuff about performance reasons seems a little bit like um, BS to me because they, you know, they were pictured, Lennon and Scott Brown were pictured having a beer um, on a sun lounger by the side of a pool. And I'm like, what's that got to do with your performance, mate? 
Do you know what I mean? It's just, and they they weren't distancing. There were lots of pictures of them in bars, you know, all sitting around one table with drinks and stuff like that. And I'm, I haven't got a problem with them drinking alcohol and things like that. But my point is, they weren't going there for, you know, warm weather training or, you know, for to, to, to get their fitness up or anything like that. They were basically going there to, to have a bit of a chill out, it seems. Or even if that wasn't the whole overriding purpose of the trip, they did it at points. And, you know, they weren't distancing properly. They were pictured without masks. You know, they're pictured by the side of the pool, hanging out next to each other. It's just, yeah, it, it's, it's just not a very good look at all. And then obviously, obviously, they've been, they've been punished for that and calm as a bitch. Well, absolutely. I mean, I know last year they went to Dubai after losing to Rangers in the sort of New Year Old Firm Derby, and that trip did regenerate them, and they went on to win their ninth league yeah, row, even yeah. though the season was curtailed and all that. But they kicked on. Now, obviously, they've had the same kind of thinking, like, okay, we need a massive lift. But surely, Matthew, there's a case of reading the room in all of this that maybe going to Dubai in these circumstances is not the best idea. Yeah, uh, if you want to buy the excuse that it was warm weather trading, getting ready for the second half of the season, I'd kind of understand that if they were, you know, five points off of Rangers. But at this point in time, given how far off they are with, with everything, and they, they'd gone to Dubai just after they'd lost the old firm derby. So it does seem like a case of, right, now it does look a bit more like a jolly up rather than warm weather, warm weather trading more than anything. So, yeah, again, if I go back to what I was saying, the optics of it, probably best if they could have managed to cancel it and get their money back and save money and everything they probably should have done that as well because it is it has just turned into into a disaster again the the idea of warm weather training is okay but in the context of where they are and where everything in now it just looks like a major major mistake and max finally celtic 21 points behind albeit with three games in hand neil lennon is he just a sitting duck now? Does he get the end of the season? Or is it better just to chop his head off, literally, and then just get a new manager in to bed him for next season? Literally chop his head off. I oh, think that no. might be a little bit... <laughs> that might be a little bit of a step too far. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I never like to talk too negatively about managers and say, yeah, yeah, he should be sacked, he should be sacked, and he should go. But, you know, the performance hasn't been there. And, obviously, Rangers have improved a lot um, under Steven Gerrard. But Celtic really, really haven't been there this year. In fact, they put up much more of a staunch defence of their Dubai trip than they put up a staunch defence against cool. Tibernia with their terrible defending at the end of the <laughs> with their terrible defending at the end of the match. Um, but yeah, that they're so so far off it this year that I think maybe a change is is probably for the best. Um, you know, their recruitment hasn't been great. Um, obviously, they've been hit by the by the by the COVID. You know. And the, and the Dubai controversy as well. So probably I would imagine that Celtic being the ambitious team that they are, you know, they want to get back to challenging at the top of Scottish football. And at the moment, um, you know, it hasn't been working out. Lennon did bring a little bit of a new manager bounce when he came back. He obviously knows the club and has a really good connection with the players and, you know, a good motivator and all that. But um, yeah, this year it hasn't worked out for them. And I wouldn't be shocked if I saw him uh, go before next season. Right. Can I just stress, we don't want to chop Neil Lennon's head off. Neil, if you're listening, I do apologise. That's the last thing you need. We've hit about full time. So I just want to thank you two for some sterling work this week. We've chatted all things COVID, the FA Cup and a lot more. So well done to the both of you. Max, thanks for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Top man. And Matthew, a pleasure as always. Bring on the podcast Derby on Wednesday.
Exactly, absolutely. Good luck to um, your respective team in that particular game. Likewise, mates. Right, fantastic. Cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.